Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, we're welcoming Alana Jacqueline. She is a professional health journalist. Uh, sorry, she is a health journalist and professional patient advocate whose work has included writing for publications like Cosmopolitan and the Huffington Post. Today, we're discussing her book, Surviving and Thriving with an Invisible Chronic Illness, How to Stay Sane and Live One Step Ahead of Your Symptoms. So, Alana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So can you tell me what inspired you to get involved in all of this? Of course. Um, So there are a lot of great books out there about different protocols and diets and, you know, medical and alternative advice and on, on how to treat your disease. But not a lot of this advice applies to all patients. You know, for many, chronic illness will be a lifelong battle. Uh, and their journey to answers can be a long time coming. In the meantime, they've got school and work and relationships, and they've got to live with and around and in the thick of chronic illness, which is something I have a lot of personal experience in. So um, there was no real guide to dealing with a lot of the social and emotional repercussions to a chronic invisible disease. So I took what I learned from my personal journey from experts and the journeys of other patients and and really wanted to craft kind of an all-encompassing guide, not just to surviving a disease, but to achieving real quality of life despite it. So um, can you just tell us a little bit about what your journey looked like? Sure. So um, I've, had, uh, I've had a chronic illness since day one. I dealt with gastrointestinal issues chronic infections, chronic pain, migraines. When I was 19, I was diagnosed with a rare disease called primary immune deficiency disease. When I was 22, I was diagnosed with an autonomic nervous system disorder uh, called dysautonomia. It's also known as partial orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Um, But I dealt with many issues outside of those diagnostic bubbles. And like many patients, my disease in its entirety, kind of remains a bit of a medical mystery. So trying to work my life around this unanswered question about my health was was really a challenge. And I learned mostly by great humiliation and heartbreak the right and wrong way to cope with my disease. And, um, and I learned about the way it affected, you know, not just me, but all of the people around me in my life. So... Everything from friendships, family, my self-esteem, school, work, career, dating, sex, marriage, you know, my story, it isn't just about being a patient with a complex disease. It's, it's really about trying to be a whole person in spite of it. So, you know, I, I, I love that you're um, making this a topic of conversation, uh, which, you know, I have definitely tried to do. Um, one of my uh, first shows was uh, a couple who were going through a chronic illness and how it affected them. And I, I think that that's something that, that we don't think about, especially if you're on the outside and you're you're a friend or a family member. I mean, you talk about this. Some people don't, they don't understand because especially when it is an invisible chronic illness, um, you know, why aren't you over it yet? Why is it still an issue? Which I can definitely yeah. relate to, you know, with my journey through Lyme disease, people thought it should be over in, in two weeks. And, and you know, our, our journeys were the, very similar where it wasn't. And it put a strain mm-hmm. on every relationship that I had and every part of my life, my work, my, you know, just my enjoyment of everything because I had to limit everything. And, um, you know, you do have to change how you do things. And I I know with conversations with my patients, one thing that they wish for is to be the way they were. You know, not everybody (laughs) grew up the whole time with with the illness the way you are, but they want to be like everybody else. They want to be able to do those things and they really can't. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of patients kind of just want to go back to the way they were. That Sometimes they wake up and they just are not the same person anymore. And 
it progresses over time, it's, it's very difficult. So, um, you know, invisible chronic illness, can you just tell us what that is and what that means for the patient? Of course. So an invisible chronic illness, um, it's really a very broad term. It, it really classifies a type of disease that I guess doesn't always have an immediate visible cue every single day at every moment. And that's kind of key too, because some people think, well, um, you know, if, if you can if you can see the disease at some point, then it's visible. But, you know, when I was originally showing this book to different publishers and, um, you know, they thought, well, an invisible chronic illness, that's, that's a really small pool of people. They were thinking of patients with diseases like, you know, maybe like Crohn's disease or rare diseases like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, you know, and, and thinking, well, those are, that's just, that's just very few people, but they couldn't be more wrong. You know, diabetes is an invisible disease. You know, most cancers are invisible diseases. Even patients who use assistive devices like wheelchairs, canes, walkers, or have, um, you know, pumps or ports or tubes, you know, they often hide them or they don't always use them on a daily basis. And, you know, these all qualify as an invisible disease. Well, and I think we could put mental health in in that category as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it it has a lot of stigma. The way invisible illnesses do as well, you know, why are you good this day and not that day or or that kind of thing, which is something I think everybody has experienced when they have an illness. And, you know, it's a matter, too, of patients with these chronic illnesses become so adept at hiding them. I mean, it's just second nature to them at some point where they they don't want to show these things so you know even if they have I mean truly obvious symptoms they've become very good at hiding them and um and while in some areas of their life that that kind of improves things for them socially makes things easier it also makes it a real struggle when they are confronted about their illness and you know why they haven't um you know shown you know more obvious symptoms well, and it seems like it's a, a catch-22. I mean, I definitely hid my illness. Uh, people didn't understand how fatigued I was, how much pain I was in. And I had a movement disorder that I got very good at uh, covering up. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, if you don't hide them um, and they're, they're obvious or you talk about them, there's some stigma around that as well that people experience. Absolutely. It's just uh, there's kind of no... <laughs> There's kind of no wonderful way to go about it. People don't want to discuss it too much because they don't want to, you know, be in situations where they're going to be judged for for being too open about it and they don't want to hide it because they don't want to be in situations where they're going to have a bad day. A symptom is going to be obvious and no one is going to believe that this is a real thing. Well, and I, and I think most people have been through, if they talk about it, you know, they're kind of labeled as trying to get attention. Uh, but then if they don't talk about it, people don't understand why they're limited or saying no to certain things or that kind of thing. Absolutely. So in, in your book, you, you talk about accepting the illness, which, um, you know, I it's something I talk about with my patients, but people don't talk about very much. And I think that that's really important that you put that in there. Um, can you just explain what that means? Sure. You know, acceptance of your disease is something I, I did really want to focus on in the book, um, at, you know, just to start out. Um, you know, I really stress it in the book because I feel like there's a deep miscommunication with that word for most patients, acceptance. You know, to them, acceptance might mean accepting the fact that your life is over, accepting the fact that you're going to die from this or you're just going to suffer every day. Acceptance might mean to them, you know, to stop trying to live a better life, to accept this, like, inevitable, lifelong unhappiness, and they couldn't be more wrong. You know, accepting your disease isn't giving up. It's saying, this is real. You know, this is a thing that exists that is standing in front of me. And the longer that I ignore it and demonize it and let it walk around me like a shadow, the less that I accept control over it. You know, you can't outsmart something you can't even introduce yourself to. So, you know, one of the things that that I stress is that acceptance isn't deceit. It's 
a declaration of self-respect under irrefutable circumstances. So, you know, this is where you are and you're going to make the best out of every moment of it. Well, you know, and, and I, I think a lot of people do think that acceptance would be that, that defeat of, oh, I'm never going to be able to do anything again. But what I found in my own journey and watching other people is when I accepted that I had limitations, I was able to give my body the time to heal that it needed. I understood those limitations and, and my life changed because of it. You know, eventually I did get better, but I still um, keep some, some rules in my life. I, I won't work more than a certain hours in a day because I don't want to burn out and I know I have limitations and um, you know there, there are some things that I just decide that I'm I'm not going to do and I don't feel left out because of them I still keep a healthy diet and and those are things I choose because I don't want to go back to the way I was I went through a journey and that was part of my acceptance that this is something that I need to continue to do as well so that I, I maintain my health it's great because what that what that is is compassion you know acceptance means giving yourself compassion to say like, you know, this is happening and I'm allowed to react to this. And in reacting to this, I can be aware of it and I can set better limitations and guidelines for myself that I can have better control over it. But that can't be done until you accept that it's there and then you start reacting within it. And I love that you use the word compassion, uh, which is something we don't have for ourselves very often. Um, You know, I think the person we're hardest on the most is ourselves. And, um, you know, if you can't go to the gym anymore, you can't contribute to your family the way you used to, you are going to be hard on yourself. And it's very hard to look at. It is okay to be sick right now. This is what I need to do to get better. Yes. You know, and I... I talked a lot about kind of like my own shame spiral um, when I when I first started really understanding that I was sick and that my disease was going to like affect everything. I mean, it was going to affect my body. You know, shame, when you talk about like exercising and going to the gym, um, you know, and patients go on all of this medication that, I mean, they... <laughs> Most of the time, they don't really have a choice about. Um, you know, I spoke with a lot of uh, a lot of patients who have uh, different kind of irritable bowel diseases, and we always got into the topic of prednisone um, and just how horrible of an experience and a universal experience that is for all IV, uh, IBS and IBD patients. With that, you know, it just changes your body overnight and. You feel terrible about yourself. You get, um, you know, moon face where your face swells up and you gain weight so quickly, um, which was something that I experienced when I was on it as well that I wrote about. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's such a hard thing to cope with and to try to figure out a way to say to yourself, well, this is not normal for everyone that this would happen, but, um, but this, is, this is part of my normal now. And I've got to find a way to continue trying to be healthy, but also be accepting of what is happening and what I can and can't change. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just compassion and, and shame are, are such a, a prevalent issue within, you know, the chronic illness experience. Well, I think you hit hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's shame if you're fatigued and you you can't participate. I mean, that most chronic illnesses you'll have fatigue or pain and and you're not mm-hmm. doing your life the same way. But there's also some of the shame with the symptoms of the illness. You know, um, an example would be mental health, or if your mental health is affected just because you are sick and you're feeling depression and anxiety, and then you have a shame because you're feeling that way, and you go in this spiral over and over, and it's very difficult to get your out of that it really is it really is um, is there um, anything that people can do to kind of recognize these things and then maybe start to step forward through it um, sure yeah I mean the first the first thing is to really understand that you know if you're going through this if you're experiencing shame about you know how your disease has affected your body your life your relationships you know, first understand that you are completely and totally not alone in it. 
you know, you are, you are not the first person to experience body issues or to experience feelings of inadequacy to be called a hypochondriac or be told you have Munchausen's by proxy or, you know, shame. It's such a universal experience and it's so rampant in the patient community. And we feel shamed by everyone, by our doctors, by our friends and families, by our coworkers when we can't make it to work and our employers. But day after day, our biggest keeper of shame is ourselves. You know, and conquering shame, um, it starts by coping with the realities of our disease by, again, having compassion for our own experience and remembering even in the moments of our worst, most frustrating symptoms that we are so much more than just a person with a chronic illness. We are, you know, so much more complex than our complex diseases. You know, I, I definitely agree with that. We are we are not our illness. It is part of who we are. And it's actually developing who we are as well. We all have challenges. And I think, you know, with, with these things, we, we can be made stronger, um, you know, if we choose to and we can we can come out from them, um, you know, a better, more mature, stronger person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Alana Jacqueline. We're discussing her book, Surviving and Thriving with an Invisible Chronic Illness. And we'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Alana Jacqueline. She's the author of the book, Surviving and Thriving with an Invisible Chronic Illness. So, Alana, before the break, we or in the first segment, we touched on relationships a little bit. And I think this is something people don't always think about when, when you know, they have a chronic illness or they're, you know, someone around them does, um, and how that's affecting everything else. So maybe you can just tell us uh, first how that affected your relationships. Sure. Um, so I, um, I had experiences very similar to, I think, what, what many other chronic illness patients, really a lot of undiagnosed patients go through, which is kind of the fallout of support, which is, um, you know, you, you might have an acute illness that turns into a long-term illness that you think is one diagnosis, but then is another. 
And, um, and when you don't have that really clear picture of what's going on, it's really difficult to explain that to other people. And, um, and so I had that experience where, um, you know, I had a few people in my life who were very close to me and were going through the journey with me um, and, and understood how confusing it was and scary it was. And then I had other people in my life who, you know, weren't that close to me and were kind of judging from afar and didn't quite understand what was happening. And it's very hard to, to kind of communicate what's going on and to maintain those relationships when there's a lot of, like, fear and judgment. And so for me, I had a lot of difficulty with some extended family um, that were just not supportive. Um, but it made some of my other relationships much stronger. And my mother is such a wonderful advocate for me. She actually, uh, after I got sick um, and was diagnosed with, with uh, the primary immune deficiency disease, it, it, it took 19 years for me to get diagnosed with that. And it's a, it's a genetic disease. It's something that you're born with. And um, it was very confusing to us that, that that had happened, that that had kind of slipped through the cracks for so long. And she ended up uh, taking my story and our story and developing a show uh, called Behind the Mystery Rare and Genetic. Uh, which is a, a show on Lifetime TV's morning talk show and uh, where she does education about rare diseases. So she was such a great advocate for me. She was such a great supporter and a rock for me. And, um, and I was, uh, you know, I'm married now. I'm, I'm 27. Uh, and my husband also went through this journey with me. And he was a wonderful supporter. Um, so, you know, I've been very fortunate to have a few people in my life who have just been excellent in, in being there for me and going through this journey with me. But I think that some of the experience that I had with other family, with trying to maintain, friend, uh, maintain friendships, uh, that all went into the book as well. And it's something I, I wanted to be very open about and share my difficulties and, and my heartbreak because I know from so many people and so many other patients how hard that is to be in a situation where you have people who should, should mean the world to you in terms of support and who should be there for you. And you don't quite understand why aren't they? Well, you know, and, and that, that is difficult. I mean, in, in my journey, I didn't talk about it a lot. I thought by telling people once, you know, I'm sick and, and this is going on that they understood, but then I realized, you know, a year in, because it took me three years to get better, um, that they didn't know what was going on. And I, I thought that they mm -hmm. understood, but it was, it was also, you know, I, I think I was too sick to realize I wasn't communicating. Um, but, you know, it, it was a lack of communication on my part to say, hey, this is going on, I need support, or um, can you just be okay with the fact that some, you know, I can't make it when we make plans and that kind of thing. And and I, I had to have that conversation. I mean, they didn't know, they didn't understand. So it, it was on, um, it was on me. And it's hard to have that conversation when you're trying to hide it. I mean, I was working part time, which is all I could do. And I had to hide that I didn't feel good when I was there. So I just would go home and then, you know, crash. <laughs> and yeah. and I think a lot of people are, are used to hiding it. So it's difficult to come out and say, hey, I need this and, and this is going on. Right. I mean, you have to kind of figure out, well, not, not only like how should I tell people, but who should I tell? You know, um, you have to figure out who do you want to share that story with? You know, you don't, you don't have to share it with everyone. It's not required of you. Um, you and you alone are the decision maker on who gets to be invited to this extremely personal conversation. And, and my book goes over that list of criteria on, you know, who should get to be those people in your life who get the full story and who gets the partial story and who gets a letter once a year saying, I'm doing just fine, but you know, how are you? Um, <laughs> You know, there's, there's, there's a variety of ways in, in which you can communicate your story. And, um, you know, I, I have some different advice for, for what you might do in a sit-down conversation, what you would do at family dinners, because that is the absolute worst when you're trying to catch up with relatives. And, 
and you just don't know what to say in a room full of people, um, you know, and what you might say one-on-one. There's, there's definitely so much uh, different etiquette, etiquette that nobody ever really discusses on how to, how to do this. So that's something I, I really wanted to go over in detail in the book and, and give real verbal, you know, what exactly do I say kind of advice for, for patients going through that. Well, and and I think that's important. You know, I, I get asked that that question all the time by my patients and a lot of them choose not to tell people. They don't want people to know, um, you know, and, and on some level, I think that's a mistake as well, because that that's not accepting that there's something going on. You know, if you're hiding it and, you know, you're mm-hmm. you don't want to tell your in-laws and you don't want people to know that you need help, um, you know, cleaning around the house and 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 that kind of thing. That that's a shame. That's what we we spoke about earlier is being ashamed that you are going through something and you're vulnerable, which is something that everybody's going to experience at some point in their lives. And um you know, it's important. But also at the same time, I think it's important to be aware of who you're talking to, because, you know, sometimes it it can feel uh, a little bit dangerous to tell something so vulnerable to someone. Right. You know, and it's funny that you say that, too, because, you know, deciding who to tell is one thing, but you, you kind of also have to be clear with the people that you tell who they can tell. I, I can tell you that I had this situation with my husband. Um, you know, obviously he knew everything that was going on and he knew that there were some people in my life that, you know, I didn't want to know everything that was happening. You know, it, um, this was, this was back when I, I had had my own consulting um, PR business and obviously my clients were not getting the full story on what was happening with me every day. And, um, and I think he misinterpreted that as he couldn't tell other people what was going on, like people within our family. And I caught him one day talking to my mother-in-law and giving her like a half truth. And I was like, what, what are you doing? That's, she's, that's, she she kind of needs to know if I'm in the hospital or not. <laughs> like that's, that's kind of, that's kind of a key person in our lives there. We don't want to leave her out of the equation. And he was like, well, you know, I just didn't know what your, like, parameters were. So, you know, you have to be, you have to kind of make that list and be clear with the people in your life, you know, who you want to go to support and, you know, they need support too. So you have to kind of, um, you know, think about that as well, that the people that you discuss your disease with and who are going to be, you know, your support pillars, they also need support pillars. So, you know, just another thing to, to think about. So how can we um, know if, if you know, somebody that we're talking to is somebody that we can trust with that information? Or is that something that we just kind of figure out as we go? Well, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of, of your own judgment. Um, and it's a little bit of a need to know basis. And it's something that people figure out along the way. You know, I, I um, in the book, I talk about, like I said, those relatives that, you know, you hear from once a year really don't, I mean, it, especially if you feel like they're not going to understand or they're, they're not going to be accepting of what's going on, you don't need to go there with them. You don't, you're not required to do that. But you should definitely take into consideration the people that you interact with every single day. So I'm talking about, absolutely nuclear family, um, but also co-workers and employers and uh, friends, you know, and, and there are, again, there are different levels of, of how much you want to communicate and to who in those groups of people you want to communicate. There's definitely a different way of communicating with friends and family than there is in a work situation. Um, and so one of the things that, uh, that, I, that I developed a little bit was um, I don't know if you've ever heard of an elevator pitch. Yes. Yeah. So um, for, for people who, who uh, haven't heard of that before, it, an elevator pitch is it's basically uh, just a quick prepared speech used to communicate a business idea or a professional introduction to someone of importance in a, in a short amount of time, say during the amount of time you might be in an elevator together. So, um, 
you know, a, a lot of patients get really tongue-tied when it comes to someone saying, so, like, what's wrong with you? And they try to figure out, oh, how do I even put that into words? There's so much wrong with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I try to teach patients how to develop their own story into the short elevator pitch, you know, that, that does a couple of things. It keeps things light but informative, and it gives the other person an easy way to respond and interact with what you've just communicated. So there isn't this awkward moment where they feel like they're expected to, you know, feel sorry for you or commiserate, but, but you know, gives them a, a way to interact. Well, you know, um, uh, just as we're talking about this, I'm thinking of of my own journey, and I was very private about it. Um, you know, no one believes me because I do this show, but I'm actually quite shy, and I don't like talking about personal things. So I actually didn't for a long time, and then I had a patient ask me to do a talk on uh, Lyme disease for a group of uh, family and friends to bring awareness to what her family was going through, and I took that as an opportunity to record it and share it. And um, my journey was on there. This is my video that's on YouTube. And, oh, I could tell you I hated doing it. Um, (laughs) But, you know, and it was so personal. And when I put that out there, not only was that there for for people that knew me to understand, but people related to it and thanked me for sharing my story. And I think one thing that's important is if we are ashamed and hiding, then the awareness isn't ever going to come to what chronic illnesses look like and nobody is going to understand but if we talk about it more the way you and I are because I think yours started with your blog I think when you were sharing your story and you had the same response I did is that people need to hear that whether they're going through it or they're trying to understand someone going through it the only way to understand is for everybody to share and and uh, you know to bring that awareness and say this is what my life is like and what I'm going through. It's so important to do that. I mean, and uh, yes, I, I had started my blog in 2012, and, and that was really the goal was that, you know, I, I needed to communicate what was happening to people who couldn't, who, who were, I, I was looking originally to educate the people that were in my life, and then, of course, the responses from people who I had no idea who they were, but could absolutely relate to what was happening. Um and it's so wonderful that, you know, that, that you shared your story, that you continue to share your story, because we need that. We need patients to be um, outspoken about what's happening to them, because that stigma will persist if we don't. Um, I actually just joined the board for um, IDA, which is the Invisible Disability Association, and they are working on a campaign right now um, that's actually asking people to submit videos sharing their invisible disability stories um, to help spread awareness and, you know, encourage and educate uh, patients and their families. Um, So if if anyone is out there who is looking to share their story or looking for a forum to do that, um, definitely look up the Invisible Disabilities Association and their I Am Invisible No More campaign because we are we are calling and begging for patients to speak out because it is so important. You know, I, I agree. Now, in in your relationship with your husband, I mean, obviously you were diagnosed before you met him. Um, how is the dynamic in that relationship? I mean, do you try to keep a balance where, um, you know, it's not always about the illness and how do you create that balance? It's an interesting relationship, Um in terms of, I mean, I wasn't, I, I was, I was sick when I met my husband. And the, the funny thing is that, you know, I met him, um, we had kind of a blind date. We met when we were 17. And um, I think I tried to hide my disease from him successfully for about three days. And at day three, on date three, it just, there was no hiding it. Like I just, I was going to end up in the emergency room and that was that. (laughs) Um, And so it's, it's just been kind of a progressive learning experience for him on, um, you know, he is someone who he actually has a a chronic illness himself, but it's very well managed. And so he was not familiar with someone who kind of had an unmanaged chronic illness. Um, 
but he's been just kind of, um, since I was a teenager, he was a caregiver in training. And um, he's just become just such an excellent partner and supporter uh, and really someone that I look to to help me make my important medical decisions. But at the same time, we still need to have a romantic relationship where somewhat newlyweds and, um, you know, we, we do try to get away from the realities of the disease. And, um, you know, it's always, it's always kind of a challenge because it's, it's, you know, we can get away, but I can never get away from my disease. So, uh, you know, it's a matter of combining support and, uh, you know, just trying to focus on the good things that we have going on and being there for each other in equal ways. A lot of things that, uh, one issue that I know that, that patients uh, in relationships with chronic illness really struggle with is that they feel kind of like they're an inadequate partner. You know, I can't do all the things that he can do. Like, for instance, I can't walk the dog every single day and go grocery shopping and make dinner and work all day. Um, you know, he has to bear a lot of the, the literal physical brunt of our daily life. Um, but I contribute in my own ways. And that's pretty much just in every marriage. You have to find the ways that you are going to be the champion in different areas. Um, you know, for me, I, I'm encouraging and I can, I can, I help us with our, you know, our, our career business goals and, and, you know, keeping different, different parts of the house in order that don't particularly mean hard labor, um, and just organizing our lives in different ways. So, um, yeah, we just, it's, you have to find a balance and that's, that's an ongoing learning experience. Well, and I think that's important for for people to understand. I mean, there's a few scenarios that can happen as one, you're in a relationship and the chronic illness starts and it, it changes the dynamic of the relationship that you have. Um, and that's something that you have to talk about and maintain to try to bring, you know, strength to the relationship. Um, or, you know, a lot of people who are single when they're sick do tell me that they don't feel like they're going to find someone because they're sick. And, and I always try to tell them, you know, the right person is going to be okay with who you are because, you know, whether the illness is now or later in life, it does happen to everybody. And, um, you know, it, it, you do want someone that has that compassion for you with whatever is going on. Yeah. And, you know, and that was something that I, that I really wanted to address too in the book was I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends in there you know, early 20s and 30s who are going through dating with chronic illness, which is just, as an overview, looks like the most challenging thing. Um, you know, and I joked about it and I laughed about it and I, I talked to just a bunch of people about it, about like, well, how do you handle a Tinder profile with a chronic illness? What do you put on? Do you mention it on there? Is that a thing? Like, is that something you want to present? <laughs> like, is it fair to to go on a first date and then not mention it until the third date, like I did. Um, that, you know, that <laughs> I have a chronic disease and that is a huge part of my life and that it will have an impact on our lives. Um, and so there's, you know, there was a lot of different schools of thoughts on that. Um, but I think that the exciting thing and the really hopeful thing was that, you know, we found that what happened was that Chronic illness, like all adversity, does one of two things. It strengthens a relationship or it challenges it. And most patients found very quickly whether or not a relationship was going to work. And when they did find one that was accepting and understanding, it became immediately very, very strong and a very unique bond. Um, and I have met and spoken with many patients who are in successful relationships, even very late in stages of chronic illness. So there is hope out there for those who are dating. It does happen. People do find happiness. Um, and the book I, does I, address some of those specific questions on how to handle those awkward dating situations. Well, uh, you know, I definitely love to hear that. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Alana Jacqueline. We're discussing her book, Surviving and Thriving with an Invisible Chronic Illness.
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of return to peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Alana Jacqueline, and we're discussing her book, Surviving and Thriving with an Invisible Chronic Illness. Alana, um, can you just tell us, I mean, it took you 19 years to get diagnosed, and you say it was a genetic illness. You had it your whole life. What was your experience with the medical system before you got the diagnosis? Um, It was a disaster. Um, I saw just so many specialists and um, had so many hospital visits, every test in the world done. And, you know, I was just, I was playing hot potato. I was being tossed from one doctor to another uh, and one after the other was saying, I don't know what this is. It's definitely something or maybe it's not something. Maybe you're just crazy. And, um you know, I knew that I wasn't. I knew that there was something going on. I, I just had so many infections that wouldn't go away. And um, by the time I was a senior in high school, it just kind of a light came on. And I was applying for colleges. And I was just like, wow, I'm not going to be able to leave for college because I am not going to be able to take care of myself. Um, what what point is there to even applying to other schools outside of my hometown? Um You know, and I realized if I don't get control of this, if I don't start advocating for myself on a whole different level, this is going to be it for me. I'm going to be sick my whole life and mismanaged my whole life. So, you know, at this point, I come at all of my medical care as a partnership. You know, it has to be a joint venture for me. I have to be both listened to and educated. I have to have, you know, I have an end goal in mind and I... I want to have the best possible quality of life every day. And that doesn't always mean the most aggressive treatment or getting on all the medications my medical team might think I need. You know, being your best advocate means being empowered about your medical choices, being educated, being really unafraid to ask hard questions and to get second opinions. Uh, A lot of patients feel like they're going to be penalized for saying to their doctor, that isn't good enough for me or that isn't enough information for me to feel comfortable doing that. 
But you can't be afraid to hurt feelings or offend people because this is your body. It's the only one you have. And getting the best you know, care isn't, isn't always just finding the highest rated doctor online and listening to whatever he says and then stopping. Um, you know, if you don't get better, it's, it's really it's finding the best doctor for you who hears you, who's willing to work with you and who's going to move you forward. Well, I love that you're talking about being your own advocate. I think it's something that people don't ever think about until they're in that situation. And it still is very difficult because if you trust the system and it's failing you, which um, is what happened to me, um, you know, what do you do? Because you're like, well, doctors say there's nothing wrong with me, so there must not be anything wrong with me. Maybe I am crazy. And, and you know, it does affect you on that level, but you're also not getting the help you need no matter what it is that, that's going on with you, you know. And um, a, a lot of time people come into me and they ask my advice and they say, you know, you have to make the decision yourself, but you have to weigh the consequences of doing something or not doing it. You have to understand what that means. And I think a lot of people just want to be told what to do. So they find that a little discouraging. But really, in a health journey, it is your decision because it is your body. That's so true. You know, and people really, I mean, wouldn't that be the best thing if you could just walk into a doctor's office and they could tell you what to do to cure your chronic illness? But unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> that <just> almost <laughs> never seems to be the case. And, you know, patients nowadays, they have a lot of choices and they the first choice is whether or not they're going to do anything about it at all. You know, are you going to stand up for yourself and say, I'm not living the highest quality of life that I can. And I know it, I know there's something better for me out there. Um, you know, and you have the option now too, to pursue different schools of thought and medicine. You know, there are patients who exclusively deal with alternative therapies and it works a hundred percent for them. And there are others who don't. And there are, you know, um, I definitely went through the issue of doctors telling me, well, you know, you're, you're mentally ill and that's what's causing all of your symptoms. And I thought, maybe, maybe that's true. You know, it could be. Maybe all of this is, is psychosomatic and I have, you know, issues that I haven't dealt with. So I did the best thing for myself that I thought I could have. I went to therapy and I went to multiple therapists and different minds and I had myself evaluated, you know, in every which way I possibly could have. And all I kept coming back was with that this wasn't, you know, a mental illness. This was a, a physical illness that was just completely out of control. And that really, that, that kind of gave me the extra confidence to be like, well, no, I've, I've had this explored. I'm not not hearing you. I'm not not exploring that option. I did. Um, and now I can tell you with confidence that that's not the problem either. So, um, you know, you have to make a choice on, you know, how far are you willing to go? Are you going to go that extra mile and check all your boxes? You know, make sure that, that you're doing your due diligence so that they have no excuses but to give you the best possible help. Well, and so when... It, it, you you must have come up to some doctors, especially in the beginning, that were resistant. That's what it sounds like. Um, and yeah. what what advice do you have for people when there's a doctor that says, "No, this isn't going on," or you know, um, off you go? <laughs> what do you what should people do? Um, it depends really on uh, how far into that relationship you've gotten. Um, you know, I've had situations where I've had doctors who took two seconds, literally, I mean, literally walked into the room, took a look at me and was like, you're fine. I mean, geneticists that have done this, <laughs> that didn't do any tests. And, um, and I, you know, in some situations I was like, you need to explore further and others, it just didn't seem like it was worth fighting with that particular doctor because they didn't seem open to exploring really the best chance of, of getting the best possible medical care is to find a doctor who is, willing to sit down with you for longer than two seconds and explore your case. If they're not even going to open your file, then, then goodbye, you know, <laughs> don't, don't, um, don't invest yourself and, and frustrate yourself with doctors who are not open to giving you quality care because that's what you deserve. So, um, you know, it's a matter also of, you know, you, you, you can't, um, 
in, in the best case scenario, you, you wouldn't rely on just trusting a doctor to fix you, but trusting instead in your ability to do your research, to communicate, to demand, and to co-produce your care, you know, to do your due diligence when it comes to selecting a doctor and go the extra mile. Um, you know, and, and that, that involves things like making sure that, that you are as best prepared to uh, present your case. Uh, and researching the doctor, look up their malpractices, look up their, you know, their past patient experiences, get recommendations, um, come with a checklist of questions and test their communication skills and see how they respond to your needs. Well, and one thing and I know people tell me is that it's exhausting to do that. And I definitely can understand that, um, you know, after you see maybe 14 people like I did and sure. you're treated the same way, um, it is difficult. But you have to, you know, in my opinion, you have to keep looking because, you know, you, you need somebody on your side. And uh, even though the visits are exhausting, I used to just spread them out until I found a good doctor, <laughs> you know. So, and, and, you know, I just did, I went once a month until I found someone um, just because, mm-hmm. you know, I needed somebody who was compassionate and understood what I was going through. But, you know, I did hit roadblocks all the time. You do. And you'll get burnt out as well. They're really there. That really is a reality. Of, um, of dealing with, you know, trying to manage a chronic illness is that you're going to have to see a lot of specialists and a lot of different doctors. They're not all going to listen to you, and it's emotionally and physically exhausting to do. So be gentle with yourself. Be compassionate with yourself. And, you know, take the time that you need and, and try and, and do the best that you can with the resources that you have. Um, so we're, we're going to have to end the show, but is there any way that anybody can get a hold of you or your book if they want more information? Of course. So um, my book is available on Amazon now, Surviving and Thriving with an Invisible Chronic Illness. It's available for pre-order. It'll be in stores everywhere on March 1st. Um, you can learn more about me and the book at chronicillnesssurvivor.com. And you can find me on Twitter uh, at Alana Jacqueline and on Instagram at Alana underscore Jacqueline. And can you just spell Alana Jacqueline? Sure. Alana is I-L-A-N-A. Jacqueline is J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This was a very informative show. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Just be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 